0: And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast
1: with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, your host, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And today we have Marco Campi. He is, uh, Marco is, uh, for lack of a better term, a scientist. You do... Uh, mathematical cognitive sciences but he's also a photographer and he's a, a really good photographer and he um he's uh, over in milano italy uh and he matter of fact he happened to visit my little town once uh on a on a trip here to virginia for work so i thought that was pretty cool but um anyway marco is uh he published a book well, I, well, we'll get into it, because uh, he, he actually published sort of a, a pre-version of it several years ago in the magazine, must have been a test, and uh, then he came out with a book, a uh, full book, which is quite good, quite good. So Anyway, I'm rambling long enough. Marco, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much.
2: It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm glad to have you, too. Um, I mean, ever since, uh, Marco sent us an article. You know, we published lots of articles by photographers around the world, and he sent one in on something he was working on during the pandemic. And it was quite good. We published it. It was in March of 2021, so it's now three years, uh, almost three years later. And since then, he came out with a book, which we'll, we're going to talk about. Um, And yeah, I won't even get into it yet. So, tell you what, what, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, and what got you interested in photography? I mean, you you know, you spend a lot of time doing deep thinking about stuff most of us don't even understand, and then you take these amazing photographs as well. Yeah. Uh, So, tell us how that all came together.
2: Yeah. Well. As you said, Bob, uh, my work is an academia. I'm I'm an engineer. So I I work as a a professor in the Faculty of of Engineering, but I feel myself more a mathematician. And I also take photography very seriously. So I'm uh, doing two different things. Uh, My work is uh, in academia, but I'm also a photographer. I would say that uh, the two activities are not uh, in a really one on the one hand and the other one on the other hand. As a matter of fact, I come close when uh, I do street photography, in a sense, because uh, you mentioned that I study cognitive sciences, uh, and uh, I will say that photography signs uh, a continuity with my working activity, so you may find this strange, but you know, cognitive sciences is about uh, uh, studying the way how you move from observations uh, into getting the big picture. is called inductive learning. Hmm. Inductive learning you move from observations into having the big picture about the real world. Uh, and in a sense, photography is a bit the same, isn't it? Because uh, you take fragments of the real world, uh, so you photograph, you freeze the moment, and this is uh, nothing more than uh, just single fragments of the real world. Uh, and then you try to direct the big picture through that uh, and uh, say, uh, you, you know, at the end, uh, through street photography, you are trying to understand the humanity, and the mankind, and the, how people behave, how they act. This is the big picture, and uh, from single snapshots, you try, try to reconstruct that big, big big picture. So I would say that there is a—it's not strange that uh, you know someone in mathematics and uh, inductive knowledge gets into photography. And in particular, into street photography.
1: Yeah, is that what you practice the most, street photography? Or you, yeah, no, I mean, uh, do you tend to, I guess, call yourself more of a street photographer or more documentary? Uh, so, you
3: know,
2: it's, uh, but I, I would I would define myself as street photographer. That is uh, what I really love is to go out there, hit the streets, and uh, meet with people, uh, taking photographs. This is uh, something that uh, I love to do, Uh, and I do that uh, in many different places. Uh, I I photograph in Milano, which is my city, but uh, fortunately enough, I can do quite a bit of traveling because of my job so i hit the streets in several parts uh, you know i've been photographing mm-hmm. in, uh, <laughs> in many different countries uh, at times i embarked into more specific projects and at the time it becomes more like documentary photography mm-hmm. so i'm uh, working on a couple of projects right now and it's more specific so it depends eh? it depends and in any case, you know, the camera is my means to portray, uh, to portray the mankind, I would say, either more specifically or more generally. Depends, eh? depends.
1: I, uh, on your website, you, you've got several projects on there. And the one that I uh, gravitated towards is uh, The Sinking City. True. Of uh, uh, in Venice, uh, obviously you went there after some heavy rain, and uh, uh, one of the reasons I'm interested. My neighbors, um, my neighbor just retired, and he always wanted to spend a lot of time in one place instead of going around traveling. So they they're spending about two months in Venice during the winter time. Yeah, and when they said they were going there, I, I automatically thought. Oh, the photographs in your sinking city <laughs> uh, project uh, that, uh, I'll tell our listeners something. You, you, first of all, you got to go to Marco's website and if you do make sure to see the sinking city project, um, there's a photograph, the cover photo was two guys sitting on chairs yeah. where it was probably St. Mark's square or something. And, and the chairs are, you know, the water's up to almost, Almost their butts, <laughs> almost the, the seat of the chair, and uh, because uh, you know Venice is having a lot of trouble with uh, with water coming in, and they've developed what's at the Mose? Is that how you pronounce it? The uh, system with the big doors that close to prevent the the, the Mose, I, Mose, Mose. And it, made, it just made me think, oh God, I hope my neighbors aren't wandering around there in these big galoshes, you know, after this this dream trip they're taking. But uh, but I just found that fascinating how you went in there and shot it and you used your own very unique style to tell that story.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Bob. Uh, many thanks for asking because this is something that uh, you know I'm really keen on. Huh? So it's 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 in fact an ongoing project, and uh, it all started in year at twenty nineteen. So and and in fact i had to change the name uh to this project so the first name was uh, the last tide the uh-huh. last tide and uh-huh. you know why because there has been uh, adverse uh, uh, atmospheric conditions uh, mm-hmm. in late 2019 uh, that peaked in the second highest tide ever recorded in Venice so uh i mean the, the, the highest side we have had back in the 1966, wow. 55 years ago. And it was called the, in the Italian, actually in the dialect, it's called the aqua granda. Granda mm-hmm. means big, aqua, means water. So big water. And then the second highest was in the year 2019, in November. And uh, it went up uh, 189 centimeters, just 189 centimeters uh, over normal uh, uh, sea level, and uh, the one in '66 was 194, just five centimeters below mm-hmm. that record. So I, I decided to, I went to. Two trips to Venice on that occasion to uh, portray the everyday of the Venetians in that condition, and they called that one the Last Tide, and the uh, name was kind of you know a nomen for uh, you know a better future because uh, the Mose that you mentioned this massive uh, uh, system uh, with the gates. Uh, that uh, isolate the uh, lagoon from the open sea, had to start, to start operation thereafter. And so the last time means, uh, okay, that's the last time we are going to have that. And you know, uh, on October the 3rd, 2020, a year later, the MOSE was first raised. But the bad part of the story is that nothing much changed after that. And so Venice, even now, is still, uh, you know, very often underwater in the winter time. And th- th- there are various reasons for that. So if you're interested, I can tell you more uh, <laughs> why the why Mosa hasn't solved the problem. But you know, uh, uh, in fact, it has not. So I planned uh, uh, a few more trips after year 2020. I was. Uh, in venice in december 2021 december 2022 december 2023 photographing there that's why i'm saying it's an ongoing project and i call the second group of photographs the new normal the new normal oh, <laughs> oh, no. so it's a it's a it's a dramatic situation so i've been there just for four or five days in December 21 22 23 and uh, in uh, all three occasions uh, I managed to take quite some good photographs uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, Venice underwater because uh, in the winter it's it's very very common that is <laughs> so so if you go to Venice uh, in uh, in winter you'd better Bring with you your
1: waders. (laughs) Yeah, not just boots, waders.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Okay,
1: maybe I'm exaggerating. Yeah, pretend you're going trout fishing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast, or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the show. you can see that how how Marco gets really involved in these projects, and becomes obviously very knowledgeable about the situation and then um, through the pandemic he did i i spoke earlier about this how we uh, actually published a few of the photographs from early in this project but um was in 2020, we all remember, and I think most of us want to forget this, is, you know, when, uh, when the pandemic took hold, um, it was particularly bad in uh, Marcos area in Lomb- uh, the Lombardy region. And we probably would hear on the news how bad things were in northern Italy. And uh, they they had some pretty severe lockdowns. Many, many people died. Probably had one of the highest death rates in COVID, probably in the world, I would imagine, at that time. And uh, uh, Marco took up took his camera and visited the monumentale, no monumentali <laughs> cemetery of Milan. He's he's helping me pronounce Italian properly. It's hard for, hard for a gringo, you know, especially a hillbilly, to uh, <laughs> pronounce their language properly. But anyway, um, so he spent a lot of time photographing in that cemetery, and as I said, we published some of the photographs three years ago. Now, since then, he's published a book um, of his experience. And those uh, and of the people in the cemetery during during this period, which is actually a story, just a, a story of the effects of the pandemic in his region, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that because he's made some very very powerful photographs in this. And uh, so why don't you tell us a little of the background, how how and why you did this, and yeah did you know it was going to go this far
3: yeah so um let me
2: start seeing that so, as you Bob mentioned uh, my city has been uh, one of the worst hit by the pandemic we have had uh, tens of thousands of fatalities in my in my city and uh, so i remember i was traveling in january and the february 2020, uh, 2020. Uh it was in India, by the way. When coming back, I heard that you know there were a few cases coming up. And then uh, by early uh, March, actually on the uh 4th of uh, March, uh the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte issued this first decree putting Lombardy under red zone lockdown. So early, everyone was forced to say at home. And you know those days were very gloomy. So you could go out only for uh, you know special needs, and you had to fill up a form. So you had under your own responsibility to say why you were going out, and uh, and uh, you had to undersign uh, the form, uh, and then you could go out. And remember that those months have been uh, very gloomy in my city. So uh, there was a. St- of community people uh, were standing uh, on their balconies uh, outside looking at the street and were chanting together don't give up as the you know the the pandemic was growing so I mean it's something that will remain forever in my in my mind so, so it's a very very uh, tough and moving time and uh, it, I should I should add that I have a particular condition for which I had to be, particularly careful about not getting infected, myself. I mean, and then uh, summer came, uh, so the the measures were released. Uh, people were allowed to go out, uh, uh, and this resulted uh, in a second uh, devastating wave, in. Uh, uh, later in autumn, in fall. So I had been at home for almost six months, doing a lot of work. I was teaching. I was uh, doing a lot of activities, so I was very active, but I had been at home for about six months when on that uh, October 25, this was the first time I went to the Monumentale Cemetery, I grabbed my camera and I decided to go there to the Monumentale Cemetery of Milan. And, you know, uh, I went there for two reasons. One is that, you know, a cemetery is in the open air, so no much chance, no much chance uh, to get infected. Oh, by the way, by that time, uh, the pandemic was, uh, you know, the cases were, were soaring again. So uh, I went there because it was open air. And the second fact is that uh, the Monumentale Cemetery of Milan Is a a truly beautiful place uh, with sculptures, monuments. So I I want really to experience the beauty amidst this special time. But Bob, you know, when I arrived there, I discovered that uh, that cemetery could give me much more than that. And uh, the fact is that I met with people over there, so these were very poignant encounters. So I I started talking with people uh, and they were suffering, same as me. Everyone was wearing face masks. This was uh, strictly enforced by the authorities. uh, And uh, we were talking, uh, chatting about our own experiences. uh, And this pushed me to go over and over again. So, You asked whether this was a plan in advance. It was not. The first time I went, I was expecting to take pictures of the monuments. Mm -hmm. And I ended up taking pictures of people instead. Because people come to you and you start talking. And then you get into the mood of being willing to freeze the particular moment that involves those people. And so this is the way the project was born, you know, out of the experience I had that first day at the Monumental Cemetery.
1: The, the photos are, uh, um, many of them
3: are quite emotional. And
1: I just wonder how much of it is your own emotion that you're, you know, you're capturing the scene based on how you feel, or and how much of it is sort of the emotion that you can feel from the people you're photographing?
2: Well, um, Bob, generally speaking, I I, I think you cannot be really into street photography if you don't uh, feel emotions yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I believe that street photography, I mean, to me, is the most beautiful type of photography because uh, it is quite emotional and of course you can see even landscape photography you go out there and you see a you know a beautiful sunrise that's quite emotional but street photography is something more than that because you get uh, into knowing people uh so uh humanity is there and Personally, I think that uh, street photography is not uh, something that uh, you should go there, hit the street, take photographs uh, on the fly and then back. There is not. So, um, you know, the camera to me is a means. And you say, oh, of course, it's a means the camera. It's a means to take photographs. Yes, it is. A camera is a means to take photographs. But uh, it is a means uh, in a much deeper sense. It means for you to come to understand the environment around you. So, you know, Bob, at times I go to a place, I sit down on the ground, I wait, I look around, I try to soak the atmosphere. Then uh, I see something in the distance that attracts my attention. I go there. At times there is a person uh, in a particular you know, attitude they don't fully understand, but I can start talking with him. And the camera is really something that you have in your hands, uh, not for taking photographs immediately, but, uh, you know, you are in your photographic mood. And uh, your photographic mood means that uh, you want to explore. It's your mood of like exploration. Eh? And uh, to me, at least, uh, and this can be also a piece of advice I can give to, you know, the younger generation getting close to street photography. So try to soak the atmosphere. Make the camera your means uh,
3: to be in touch with environment around you.
2: Going back to that experience. uh, So in the book, in the book you've seen a lot of photographs and a lot of texts, but deliberately I left out uh, all the emotional part. I didn't describe what uh-huh. I felt. So mm-hmm. you, probably you noticed that. So, you know, in in those months that uh, are, you know, the first time I went in October 2020 and I photographed till uh, uh, July 2020 um, 2021, eh, I collect a lot of information about. Uh, the Italian society, the politics. So all the texts are like, like narrating,
0: mm-hmm. a
2: narrating voice, but in a, in the background, but just give it the situation and how it evolved through time. In all the photographs and all the texts are strictly in chronological order. However, what left out is the is the personal emotions I had during those visits, but Bob, I can assure you that the emotional part uh, that left out of the book was uh, was really overwhelming. And uh, and uh, between you and me, I in those months I was staying at home again, and uh, going to the Monumental Cemetery in those months was my getaway. And you know when I was. uh, Getting ready to go out, uh, jump in my car, and go to the cemetery, I was feel uh, I was feeling happy to go there. Mm-hmm. Amidst that beauty, and to be able to have new fortuitous encounters, uh, to come to know more about people, their stories, uh. and it's, it's incredible in street photography if you take the chance out there you'll find so many people ready to tell you their own stories
0: mm-hmm.
2: so it's uh, this is something that you do not expect so you go there and they they open up with you they talk to you they tell you also personal things uh, and uh, you can really get uh, deeply in touch with the people that way and the emotional part uh, is certainly one of the most important ingredients in street photography. So I could give you a lot of examples, of what happened in those months. <laughs> uh,
1: so how how much has it, or not just how much? How has it changed or this the experience of doing this project, this book, how has it changed your photography? And how has it changed you?
2: That's a good question, Bob. You know, uh, we keep changing through our experiences. And this experience uh, was pretty big uh, because of the special time, because of the pandemic. Uh, I will say that uh, street photography has changed me. So I so I, I started photographing quite early on in my life, but uh, I became, you know, quite keen uh, on taking street photography some 10, 12, 13 years ago. And ever since, uh, I kept you know, uh, accumulating more and more experience uh, about talking with people. And uh, all this uh, uh, process uh, changed me a lot. Uh, speaking of this particular experience, uh, uh, these many encounters uh, changed me quite a bit uh, and uh, I believe that uh, after this, my, uh, photo- my way of photographing has become more intimate. Um, so uh, most of my photographs uh, are candid, which means uh, I take them uh, without letting the subject know that I'm photographing. But all the time, I try to talk with the subject afterwards.
1: Oh, okay. Let's oh, before.
2: Uh, oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. First and foremost, I feel that I have to let the person know that mm-hmm. I a photograph and that uh, I have a project going on and I may want perhaps to make a book out of it. Or, but also, it's a way to get better in touch with the person. So I would say that 60-70% uh, are candid. Uh, and, uh, Thirty percent or forty percent uh, are uh, kind of, you know, of direct. That it is, I talk with the person first, uh, and then I take the photograph. But again, uh, in this case, you, uh, I often uh, get in touch with the person first, uh, very deeply, before asking to take the photographs. I, 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 I can give you an example. This happened the very first day, on the 25th of October, when I went to the Monumentale Cemetery. And this was uh, one of the first encounters I had. So I was there. There was uh, a man, uh, relatively young, in his 40s, I would say, with two kids, two two sons. Uh, And they were uh, running. They were running. Mm -hmm. In in those days, uh, there were very little people. In the, at, the, at the cemetery. So there are a lot of open space uh, these guys were running. And then this guy was into photography himself. Oh. So I had a camera and he asked me, are you here to take photos? So we started... Uh, then, you know, uh, he opened up with me and I started telling me his story. And the fact that uh, is that he was there with the two sons because they were visiting the tomb of his daughter. Oh. That, uh, you know, has passed away of course in a tragic situation because the two mm. boys were 9, 10, 11 mm. something like that so I mean the guy himself was 40, 42, 44, I do not know in his 40s and then he added but I want this time when I can here with my two sons uh, not to be sad I want he, I want it to be a time of joy. I was so surprised to hear that. Mm. We talked for a while, and I asked him, "But would you mind if I take pictures of your uh, of your kids uh, running? You know, in the cemetery." And he was so glad that I asked. He said, "Yes, please." And of course, then I was in touch with him, and we had an exchange afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I had seen a nice spot. So we went there, and we took. Uh, I took, you know, it's one of the very first pictures. Uh, there are crosses, uh, there are crosses uh, on the left. Yet uh, Actually, it is exactly the second picture. There are crosses on the left, uh, the two branches of, uh, of a tree, and uh, the kid that is running in the background, there's a clownish
3: posture. It's on page eight.
0: Yes, I see it.
3: This is the son to this man.
2: And, uh, you know, uh, it was such a poignant story. And uh, uh, I was really moved. And uh, he asked me to take the pictures. uh, And uh, I mean, I asked him and he asked me. And he was very keen on me taking this picture. And... uh, so this first encounter really was uh, was something. It, it meant something to me. And uh, I told myself, you know, uh, this is really the way to, to come to know about others, uh, what they think, uh, their way of uh, approaching a tragedy like this one. Uh, and uh, this really pushed me to Go to the cemetery every time I could. and you know, after that first encounter, I had many, many more. and uh, most of them are in the uh, in the, in the book, uh, even though i uh, I'm repeating myself here, i I haven't told uh, the all these stories, so not know whether it was a good choice or not, because you know the personal part has been left out. Uh, but uh, but yes, indeed, it changed me a lot because uh, the special time, at this, uh all these experiences. So I think that photography can 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 change us, can change
1: us. So say five, ten years from now, do you think you'll look back on your body of work and think of it in terms of pre-pandemic? and post-pandemic well that's could
3: be could be could be yeah
1: pre-pan pre-pan i'll tell you where that comes from in a minute go ahead
2: (laughs) i haven't thought of it but can be you know at times uh, experiences sign uh, ourselves more than uh, what we can expect Uh, and uh, well, this is the story of our life. Probably, Bob, you've had the same experience. That's if you look back uh, uh, in, in retrospect, if you see that some facts have uh, changed your life more than you sensed at the time mm-hmm. what happened. Eh? So I believe that, generally speaking, the pandemic has changed me because. Uh, you know, it has been a tough time, and uh, as you mentioned uh, here, this city has been hit very badly, so uh, by looking around uh, I know of various people that, uh, you know, passed away because of the pandemic, and not not directly, not very close to me, fortunately enough, but this time has been quite, uh, quite tough for us, uh, for many, and uh, for others much more, because uh, I know Various, uh, uh, I have various uh, friends whose relatives passed away because of the pandemic you know, it has been uh, quite a bad time. So the pandemic time uh, has signed me a lot uh, and in you know, when it comes to photography, this is... Oh, by the way, all the photographs I have taken during the pandemic time uh, have been taken at the monumentale cemetery of Milan. I'm I'm a quite a strict person, so in those months, I've been uh, uh, I I kept going to the cemetery and just the cemetery. All the pictures he took were there. So and then, this maybe another little advice for those uh, getting uh, close to street photography: uh, go over and over again to the same place. Yeah. I believe. That's go over and over again to the same place. the same place is not the same place because there are a lot of changes. you meet with new people you you have a different atmospheric condition a different season, but you come to know that place you become you know very close to that place and being close to an environment is very important for you to be more emotional and to take better pictures
1: why. And I want to tell everybody, I didn't tell them to say that, and I'll tell you why. We no, we're uh, we just announced uh, a couple of weeks ago we are going to publish a book, and we asked people to submit photos from their favorite place they return to on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah so yeah. so and, and I think that's great advice. I used a term in my last question, pre-pan, pre-pan and post-pan. And that came from a book, and it, I don't know if you've read this book, and it's called Station 11. It's by a brilliant writer, Emily St. John Mandel, and it was about a pandemic that happened that wiped out most human life on earth. She wrote that book in 2014, you know, five, uh, four years, whatever, before uh Oh, sorry. Six years before the pandemic, and it's fabulous. Uh, HBO did a a, a series uh, based on the book. But if you haven't read it and you want to read something for leisure, I highly recommend it. I think you'll you'll find it fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Station Eleven, the... it's called.
3: Thanks for the advice. Yeah, read it.
1: Yeah. So yeah, the pandemic. You know. That's something that, um, you know, we all live through it. Those of us who made it. But you know, I, I find myself I don't really want to think about it. And you know, I'm glad it's over. Let's hopefully it's hope it stays over. But then I look at your book, and I and I was so glad you you did that. Although you know I wasn't in Italy at that time, uh, or that cemetery, but it just just kind of brought back the effect that it had on, you know, everybody I know. And uh, and it's universal. It just, yeah. I think it makes me realize we're all the same. You know, we all want the same thing. And uh, the same thing happened to uh, basically everybody on the planet. Yeah. No matter what politicians deny it. And I think you even mentioned that. You said. Yep. It, you said it's divided between, divided being the, between the people who deny it, and the people who are grieving the ones they lost. I think you, that's what you said in the book.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: This
1: uh,
2: uh I was talking about uh, what what was happening in uh, in the spring, in the in springtime. You know the, all the curves had been. Uh, there for a year and the people had become a new art to to the pandemic unless you had been hit by it personally mm-hmm. so really um you know i could sense that the world was split uh, in two at that time uh youngsters you know uh staying at hangouts and enjoying and uh, and at the time, we still had some 300 deaths uh, 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 per day. Yeah. So, uh, so every day in my city, eh? uh, in my city, in Italy, but in my city mostly, uh, and, but still, you know, uh, people uh, have decided not to give much attention to it anymore. But you know. Uh, we are human beings. You cannot stay in that situation for too long, eh? So yeah. It's it's kind of normal that you 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 pretend that the uh, the problem is no, no longer there, unless unless uh, something has happened to you. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the story. And, you know, Bob, I believe that the good part of street photography is that there is no other way to uh, freeze those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Important moment in in life than through photography. So you can write a book, for example. You can, and this is even more full of content in a sense. Content in a sense, you can describe things, but there is nothing like... uh, an image that comes to you and tells you that special time eh? so photography is a unique means to freeze a moment and to make it available to people in the future yeah so that's uh, that's the beauty of uh, photography yeah you're a historian and this is one more positive mark in favor of street photography because, I mean, landscape photography is beautiful, but the point is that mountains don't change that much. Do they? That is no. in one. So in a century from now, you might go there up there and take the same photograph, but can you imagine so the fan Hoss uh, Hong Kong from the fifties, uh, or Harry yeah. or uh, or O. So I mean, that time won't come back. So you have to to freeze it at that time, otherwise it's gone. Yep. And so I think that's uh, it's uh, it's uh, a wealth that the humanity has, uh, thanks to
3: the work of those photographers.
1: Yeah, that slice, that one two-fiftieth of a second or one one one-thousandth of a second will never happen again in the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, never forget that.
0: So that's Um, why...
3: Um,
1: man, I was going to ask you something, but I, I, I was, <laughs> I was too, too busy listening to what, what you had to say, but, uh, what, uh, no, I, now I remember, uh, monochrome you, you do so much great monochrome work. Well, why do you choose to do that when you have the ability to create such beautiful color images too?
3: Yeah. Um, well,
2: first of all, I like to make a claim that uh, uh, I take monochrome eh? way more than cloud uh, photographs. But I'm not adamantly against uh, mm. color photographs. So at times I do I do color photograph eh? when it it it, it needs
3: uh, be done that way. Uh, but uh, monochrome I think it has uh, an extra
2: layer so so but any trying to take photographs even a collection when I make a reportage still I mean the collection is important uh, in itself but still the single shot is the most important part to me even when Many shots make a collection. The single shot is important. And the believe that uh, monochrome is the way to uh, introduce an extra layer between the observer and not the photograph, but what is being represented in the photograph. In other words, just to make it simple, if you take a color picture, you establish a direct connection between the observer and that piece of the real world which is portrayed in the photograph through the memories of the observer so the observer looked at the photograph and because of his memories and his own understanding experience about the real world he makes a connection when you take a black and white photograph you introduce like a filter an extra layer because we see in color. And uh, so you set the distance between the observer and what is being represented. And uh, as such, uh, I believe it becomes more poetic. So uh you take a distance, and uh, the photograph remains more a photograph rather than uh, directly representing the subject being portrayed there. Uh, so it's it's more poetic. It's more, uh, I I believe that uh, uh, Marc Ribot made uh, the, the, the French photographer made a similar remark once. Uh, so black and white uh, is more uh, poetic. And as such, it gets closer to my own idea of photograph, uh, which must also be an artistic realization. So uh, that's why I value each single shot mm.
0: uh,
2: even more than the collection, because uh, I believe that uh, by uh, that shot uh, we express ourselves. So it becomes an artistic uh, uh, production, and uh, in monochrome, I believe this uh, comes out more uh, clearly. So mm. that's why I. I normally do a
3: monochrome.
0: Yeah.
3: Very good. Maybe I've
2: been also influenced by, you know, the giants of the field. I I looked a lot at, at you know, big photographers, uh, Mark Ribot, or uh, Duano, or, uh, Larry Tau, uh, mm-hmm. all these big guys. <laughs> and in the past, they used to photograph in black and white. I have been possibly i have been uh, uh, influenced by by these people and uh, this can be another reason as well
1: yeah yeah me too mm-hmm. you know, most of my influences come from early days looking at life magazine and look magazine here in the us and in those days they were almost always monochrome so
0: yeah i don't know if
1: that- that sets the stage or not, but uh, I don't know. I feel the same way. So that's why I asked. But yeah. I like color too. But it seems like the my end product, probably 85%, maybe 90% is monochromes. Yeah, same, same, here. same here. But when it comes to evaluating photos for the magazine, we don't take that into account. Good work is good work. Yeah, but that's so good yeah it is well, one more quick question here. well, no, actually, two quick questions. I mean, we talked a lot about your uh, your your uh, pandemic book and, uh, and also about the, uh, the uh, about how Venice is thinking. any other particular projects on your website do you want to point somebody to, to make sure they
3: yeah, they
0: um, uh, visit
1: it. You you just you have a lot. You have a lot of really good stuff on there. You
3: know, uh, uh,
2: I've been doing a, uh, quite a few uh, work that I could put under you know the name of reportage, mm-hmm. specific uh, collections of photographs. Most of the you know of the pages on my website uh, are rather collections uh, that have be taken different parts. Uh, and then they have put under a common umbrella, like you know, moments uh, that you spend alone, uh, or uh, lights and shadows. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the the reportage on the high tide is something that is uh, quite uh, quite special for me. I'm, uh, I'm pursuing that. I'm still uh, putting together the photographs. So that one, I'm very keen. Another project I'm very keen on uh, is uh, is uh, one called uh, on the traces of prana. Mm-hmm. You know, prana is, is, is a part of the Indian culture, and uh, I've been to India several times, by the way, um, even. Uh, a long time ago, so my first trip to India was in 1997. I was there uh, for work, which gives you, oh, by the way, when you go to a place for work, uh, this gives you the extra opportunity really to mingle with the local people, uh, yeah. to kind to, to understand the culture. So if you go to a place like a tourist, uh, you may miss uh, most of the story. But uh, I I, was—I by the way—I was working for the Ministry of Defense in a Center for Artificial Intelligence Robotics. Uh, I I was living in the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, and uh, I was jumping on a tuk-tuk, which you know are the three-wheelers, the Uh the vehicles there, uh, just going to work. And so, India is something that uh, is really deep in my heart. And uh, I, I kept going there uh, more times. So this is another project on the traces of prana. It's again an ongoing project. So uh, it shows the the hardship uh, of uh, the street life uh, in uh, in uh, in India. So there are people, uh, you know, praying. Other are you know, maimed people in the streets, uh, and uh, I've been uh, photographing uh, different, uh, you know, uh, facts, situations, uh, particularly portraying the hardship of the life over there, which is not is just part of the life, because in India most people are joyful. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, by the way, photography in India is fantastic. As a matter of fact, at time. At times, you have to conceal your camera because everyone comes to you asking for you to take a picture of them. <laughs> yeah. There is a time when you say, no, 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 uh, no longer now. So you, you can see your camera. But you know, it's very easy. It's very easy to photograph there. But uh, you know, that particular collection of pictures is about uh, the hardship of life uh, in India. So many photographs taken in the Varanasi, for example, uh, where you know Varanasi is the place where people go to die mm-hmm. because uh, this stops the uh, et- 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 eternal reincarnation. So if you die in Varanasi and your ashes uh, are uh mm-hmm. as to the Ganja River, this stops the perpetual reincarnation processes it's again a place filled with humanity hmm. and you can make an interesting contrast there so this is a, this is a project uh, you know uh, again i I've, I've, I've heard that i i, I had a good friend of mine he's a professional photographer in landscape photography and once he told me one thing i do not agree with He said, but Marco, when it comes to reportage, I mean, everything has been told already.
1: (laughs) I disagree with that too.
2: (laughs) I I totally disagree. You know, uh, Bob, even without making any planning beforehand, it happens to me so many times that I end up in a place. If you keep your eyes open, you very easily bump into something that deserves to be told Mm -hmm. others and then again uh, another little uh, advice is that when you bump into that uh, keep hammering on that go and go over again so don't say don't don't do things on a fly so if you find out something that is worth pursuing pursue that get concentrated and continue uh Exploring the same thing, and uh, as you explore more, you go more deeply into it. Uh, you understand better, and, uh, and 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 get yourself documented as well. That is a uh, read. Read about the stories. Uh, read about what is behind it, and uh, you know, street photography as the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful thing in the world. Eh? Because it's a means to come to know about the real world. And this is the, 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 the nicest part uh, of street photography. With the, a camera in your hands, you can explore the world. And uh, and this is the beauty of it. And then uh, you, you you may also want to take photographs. <laughs> but But this comes after. This comes after. I like that. The most important fact is exploration. Exploration of the real world. It's a, it's a fantastic means. It's a fantastic means. And uh, as a matter of fact, Bob, I believe that people like you play an important role in the society. You know, you have this a, uh, stream magazine uh, uh, that is uh, so important because it may uh, push more people to undertake this uh, beautiful activity that is uh, being in two-street photography.
1: Yeah, no, thank you.
3: Thank yeah. you. Well, before we go, yep. tell everybody
1: where to f- see your work and where they can find your book.
2: Uh, okay, the book and my work, um, so, Okay, uh, if you just uh, make a a Google search (laughs) for my name followed by photography. Oh, by the way, uh, the funny funny story is that my name is Marco Campi, Mm -hmm. but I have a a second given name, which is Claudio, Mm -hmm. Marco Claudio Campi. So I was baptized Marco Claudio Campi. But in my passport, the second name disappeared for many years and it reappeared just a few years ago. Oh. So from that time on I had to undersign all the uh you know official documents with Marco Claudio Campi. So okay. if you want to look for my work, you should do two searches, not one, Marco Campi Photography and the Marco. Claudio Campi Photography. I believe that most of my work comes out with the Marco Campi Photography. As a matter of fact, the first hit in the Google search is my website, photograph photography website. However, if you want to look for the book, you have to dial Marco Claudio Campi Photography. And it's on sale by many. Uh, sellers Feltrinelli Webley. It has been uh, published by Polistampa, so it's on sale from them. Uh, I believe that they also ship overseas. So, in case, yeah, if interested, uh, it's uh, so. It's in, uh, in various libraries here in Italy, uh, not in the states, but I believe they ship overseas. WAPE in particular
1: oh that's yeah. good that's good yeah and we'll put links in the show notes directly to them so yeah you can always go back to your iTunes or whatever and click on the link and go right to it good yeah. well thanks Marco uh, it was really really good to speak with you finally
2: it has been great pleasure great pleasure Bob and uh, so I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you
1: Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So, please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track, and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine.